Rise and Shine campers, because I'm giving you my complete ranking of the Friday the 13th franchise right now. Hello everybody and welcome to my second ranking video of the Halloween season. And yes, I do want to acknowledge right up front that there appear to be about 5 billion other Friday the 13th ranking videos out there, but this one is my Friday the 13th ranking video. And I actually have an interesting relationship with this franchise in that the Friday the 13th movies are not like the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which we did last time, if you want to check that video out. This one is one that I'm a little bit newer to. I was actually more familiar and a bigger fan of Jason really than the Friday the 13th franchise itself. And a lot of these movies I watched for the first time in order to do this ranking video. So there were 12 movies that I considered for these rankings, all of the movies in the official Friday the 13th series, the 2009 reboot slash remake, and as with Nightmare on Elm Street, I also included Freddy vs. Jason. And let's get to my number 12 movie, which is one that a lot of people have tried to sell to me in the past as a bit of an enjoyable, campy romp, but which I found thoroughly unenjoyable, and that would be 2001's Jason X. Yes, some people say it's good, cheesy, fun. Well, it is cheesy, but I didn't have a lot of fun with it. This movie is basically direct-to-video quality, from the sets, to the acting, to the special effects. I was watching Jason X, and I was trying to figure out what this movie looked like or felt like, and I realized it looks like the video that they show you in line for a theme park ride before you get on the ride. How long till we reach Solaris? I'm taking us out of hyperdrive right now. In Jason X, Jason has been captured and is being prepped for cryostasis because scientists want to study his ability to regenerate. But after he's frozen, people kind of forget about him and he's reawakened in the year 2455 where his body is brought onto a spaceship that is leaving a now ruined Earth. Of course, Jason does what you would expect him to do, which is wake up and begin killing a bunch of people, at one point getting a nanotechnology upgrade to become Uber Jason. Jason X has all of the hallmarks of a terrible early 2000s film, from the Matrix ripoff leather shootout to some truly atrocious computer-generated effects to the attempt at lampshading just how cheesy this movie is. Guys! It's okay, he just wanted his machete back! This was the last movie in the quote-unquote original run of Friday the 13th films, and even though it's the first on this list, it's also the last movie in which Kane Hodder played Jason, which really sucks because you're going to find pretty much all of Kane Hodder's movies on the bottom part of this countdown, and yet he is the person that I think of when I think in my head of Jason Voorhees. And I hate that he was such a great Jason and was stuck in several really, really bad movies. But I do want to give credit to Kane Hodder because even though his movies weren't great, I think he's great as the character. Really, Jason X has only two things going for it, and it's probably the two things that you've heard about this movie if you haven't seen it. One of them is a brief simulation of Camp Crystal Lake that they show to Jason in order to distract him, which is pretty funny. Hey, you want a beer? Or do you want to smoke some pot? Or we can have premarital sex. And the other one is, admittedly, one of the best kills in the entire franchise, where Jason takes a scientist's head, dunks it in liquid nitrogen, and then smashes it on a counter. Thank you. 
Now you may have noticed on those clips that I just showed that over what might be deemed objectionable, I put a giant YouTube logo. That's because my previous ranking video, which covered the Nightmare on Elm Street series, was deemed unsuitable for most or all advertisers by YouTube, even after I appealed that decision. Apparently showing 30-year-old clips from old slasher movies is unsuitable for advertisers, and some of the heinous stuff that other people say on this platform is perfectly fine. I will be putting up the uncensored version of this video over on my Patreon page. If you want to, you can sign up for the lowest tier, which is two bucks. You can watch the uncensored version. You can cancel if you want to, or if you want to hang around, I'd love to have you do some fun stuff with us over on Patreon. I wish I could just say screw it and show everything and just not have to run ads on it, but this video took a lot of time and effort to put together, and I kind of need to see a little bit of a return on it. So unfortunately, yes, this is a little censored, but if you want to see the uncensored version and you have a couple bucks, please head over to Patreon. I'll have the uncensored version up there. Anyway, in a franchise of a lot of movies that are not very good, Jason X is the least good of all of them. I really did not enjoy watching this in any way, shape, or form. Now, as I did in my previous ranking video, I'm going to be keeping track of a few different things. I'm going to be keeping track of the number of on-screen confirmed kills that I have for Jason in each film. As with the Nightmare on Elm Street films, I'm also going to be picking my favorite kill from each movie. But there was something else that I noticed when I was watching the Friday the 13th films, which is that Jason also shows a wanton disregard for doors and windows. So I will also be adding up the property damage that Jason does in each film. When it comes to best kill, again, I think you have to go with the liquid nitrogen frozen face smash, one of the best Jason kills ever. And even though I liked this movie the least of any movie in the franchise, Jason actually racks up his biggest body count, at least by my calculations, with 20 confirmed kills. And despite this movie being set largely in the future, where I imagine construction has improved by leaps and bounds, Jason is also able to destroy five doors and one window, and that's not counting the number of destroyed windows. When the spaceship crashes into a space station and destroys it, that likely numbers in the thousands. Jason X's six egress crimes tie it for third most in the franchise. So even though Jason X may be short on quality, it is big on carnage. It's gonna take more than a poke in the ribs to put down this old dark. Oh. Yeah. That ought to do it. Let's go now to the movie that really gave Jason X a run for its money for the bottom of the list, and that is 1993's Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. It preceded Jason X by nearly a decade and actually did serve to kill Jason off for a while. This movie also answers the question, what if we say goodbye to Jason Voorhees by making a movie with almost no Jason Voorhees in it? Jason Goes to Hell admittedly has a great opening. Jason's ambushed by the FBI where he is literally blown to pieces but during his autopsy, the real source of his evil, which is like some lights that take on the form of a demon worm or something, possesses the coroner, and then for 90% of the movie, random characters who are being possessed by Jason's spirit carry out the murders. He wears other people's bodies like folks wear a suit. Now, the person you just heard talking about Jason is another character in the film, a bounty hunter named Creighton Duke, who right before that line said one of the most weird and mystifying lines in horror movie history. Jason Voorhees. Well, that makes me think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut. The Friday the 13th franchise had been running on fumes for a while, and they were really desperate for ideas in this one because they did the body-jumping Jason thing. There's also a secret long-lost Voorhees sister. Jason had a sister, your girlfriend's mother, Diana. 
And then there's like a special Voorhees dagger that you have to use at the end of the movie if you want to actually kill Jason. Honestly, I don't know why anybody involved with the Friday the 13th franchise thought that any Friday fan would actually be satisfied with this final film. Only through a Voorhees can he be reborn. And only a Voorhees can kill him. Jason Goes to Hell is perhaps most notable for teasing a Freddy vs. Jason movie at the very end, which fans wouldn't see for another decade. The only redeeming factor for this movie is some good prosthetic effects. There's one where a cop literally melts to death, but the best one is one that you actually will only see in the unrated version of this movie, and it's also my pick for the best kill in the film. Jason is stalking a campground, as he's wont to do. He sticks a pole through a copulating teenager and then rips up through her, literally ripping her in half. Now, the ripping up part was cut by the MPAA, so you have to see the unrated version, but the effect is so well done that I'm giving it the best kill of the movie, even though most people didn't even see it, especially not if you saw this movie in theaters. Overall, Jason has a confirmed kill count of 18, which is tied for second most in the franchise, and he busts through two windows, two doors, and one of those little pony doors, like the little half doors that you see at a police station, which puts Jason's official property damage tally at 4.5 doors and windows. Freddy's Dead was a bummer of a last movie for Freddy Krueger, but I think this is an even worse last movie for Jason Voorhees, and I'm glad that both of them got the chance to come back in later films and at least try to make a better last impression than this movie. A little girl in a pink dress, sticking a hot dog through a donut. At number 10 on my list is another sequel, of course, and it is infamous for being one of only two films in the franchise not to feature Jason, and that is Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. The previous Friday the 13th film was the first one to promise the end of Jason Voorhees, so for this one, we do have a returning character, but it is Tommy Jarvis, the kid from the last film, and of course, a slew of fresh meat comprised of teens who are receiving various forms of mental health treatment at an isolated facility. Things kick off when one of the kids in the facility acts as the resident overweight guy to death, and because this is the 80s, being heavy also means that you're really stupid and you literally have chocolate covering your mouth. You can count on me, Rob. You too, Vi. Want a chocolate bar? Spoiler alert, but it turns out that this doofus's dad is the ambulance driver who shows up to cart the body away, and he gets so angry that he decides to dress up as Jason Voorhees and kill everyone. Most of this movie is just a procession of people getting killed, and the story and character development are subpar even by this franchise's standards. The most relatable thing that happens in this movie is a character who reacts to bad Mexican food pretty much the same way that I do. Oh, damn enchiladas! We also get some great dancing from a character named Vi, who does a pretty killer version of the robot, although this isn't the pinnacle of dancing in the Friday the 13th franchise. That is coming later. I should also note that this movie perhaps includes my two least favorite characters from any Friday the 13th movie, the hillbilly Ma and her son Junior, who are excruciatingly difficult to watch for every second of this movie that they're on screen. This movie also contains one of a few instances in the franchise where it breaks out the cheapest jump scare in the book, the it's just a cat moment. <laughs> this
this movie's pretty desperate and it ups the ante on everything from kills to nudity, but nothing really works at all. The usual twist ending isn't even really that good. It's revealed that Jason isn't really Jason. And then for the second consecutive movie, it essentially implies that Tommy Jarvis is going to become the new Jason only for this plot point to be completely dropped by the time the next movie rolls around. And possibly because this isn't the real Jason, the kills in this movie are pretty subpar. I have to pick a best kill, so I guess I'll pick when Jason decapitates Junior while he's riding around screaming on his little motorbike, mainly because I was just so happy to see Junior leave the movie. The imposter Jason is able to rack up 17 kills in this movie, as uninteresting as they are, which is good enough for third best in the franchise, but he's pretty lacking in the property destruction area. He manages to destroy only one door and two windows. Can't you take a joke? Next up is a movie that's a lot lower on many people's lists, and I understand why, but it has a few redeeming qualities, or at least more than the other ones, and that is Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, which I think would have been much better received if it had just been called Jason Takes a Pleasure Cruise. And despite a few things that I like, you know a movie is bad when the trailer is the best thing about it. <laughs> Jason Takes Manhattan has a lot of shots of New York in the opening credits, but let those soak in because you are not going to be back on that island for over an hour. Instead, the bulk of this movie infamously takes place on a boat that's taking a bunch of high school students to New York, but I have kind of a hot take on this, which is that that's actually the best part of the movie. It's pretty standard Friday the 13th stuff, but I think that the movie slows to an absolute crawl when they actually get to New York, and I don't mind the Jason stuff on the boat. Maybe it would have been better if they'd filmed more of the movie in New York. I think they only shot one scene there, which is the Times Square scene. It's fun stuff, but there is far too little for what the premise of the movie promises. You're a dead meat slime bag. Yo, man, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's cool. This movie does go back to basics in a lot of ways after experimenting with things like psychic powers. We get the Harbinger of Doom, which at this point was a Friday the 13th fixture. This voyage is doomed. And the rest of the movie is also pretty familiar territory. This movie does try to have a little cheeky fun with Jason at this point, but I think it goes a little too far overboard. For example, Jason is basically able to teleport in this movie. Even if he wasn't a slow walker, the fact that he gets from one spot to another so quickly becomes laughable and not necessarily in a good way. Also comical is the finale of this film. We see Jason's face, which reveals that he's pretty much turned into a muddy looking Muppet. And then he's ultimately vanquished by the toxic waste that's flooded through New York City's sewers every night at midnight. Don't you miss the 1980s when movies would just tell you that anything happened in New York and you'd believe it? Now, I do have a little nostalgic attachment to this movie in the sense that it came out in 1989 and my first memory of Jason was in the advertisements for this film. This is when I was actually first aware that there was a character named Jason. It scared me quite a bit, to be honest, but that sentimentality doesn't really attach much to me as far as love for this film. It's a pretty bad movie. 
Jason has 16 confirmable kills in this movie, which is good for fourth best in the franchise. And my favorite kill is not only one of my favorites in the franchise, but I think the best example of how you can use Jason as both a menace and a comedic character. One of the high school kids is named Julius, and he's an aspiring boxer. And once they get to Manhattan, Julius decides he can take Jason on one-on-one -on -one using his boxing skills. And he punches Jason for, and I went back and clocked this, a full one minute and 20 seconds. Finally, Julius gets tired, and in one clean stroke, Jason punches his head off, which bounces off an awning into a dumpster, which then slams shut. That is perfect physical comedy, and one of my favorite moments in the franchise. Jason does his second most property damage in the movie, breaking three windows, if you include the glass in a phone booth, which I do. He also breaks three doors, including a glass door, which is kind of like breaking a door and a window, but I'm only counting it as one. In total, three doors and three windows bite the dust in and around the Big Apple. There is a maniac trying to kill us. Welcome to New York. I mentioned a few minutes ago that Friday the 13th as a franchise had experimented with psychic powers. Well, that came in the film that directly preceded Jason Takes Manhattan. And my next pick, which is Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. This is the film that abandoned Tommy Jarvis's character for good in favor of a new character, Tina, who's not only running from Jason, but also has unrelated psychokinetic powers. It's like the producer said, what if we did Carrie, but it was Carrie. This is also Kane Hodder's first turn as Jason Voorhees, and by process of elimination, I guess the best of his Friday the 13th appearances. Tina is at Crystal Lake to confront the trauma of accidentally killing her abusive father there when she was a kid, whoopsie, and somehow manages to bring Jason back to life. Next door to Tina, a bunch of teenagers are there for a party because, you know, we gotta have a group of teenagers to kill. And there's also a meddlesome cat skulking around. There's not much to this movie. It's really just Jason killing a bunch of people and then a B-plot about Tina trying to deal with her psychic powers. It had the potential for several memorable Jason kills, maybe some all-timers, but The New Blood was infamously cut to ribbons by the MPAA. In the wake of the slasher film explosion of the 1980s, criticism also erupted about the violence in them from prominent figures in the community like Siskel and Ebert. You've said before that all movies tend to argue in favor of the behavior that they show. Mm -hmm. These are women as sport to be stabbed. These kinds of movies put some very bad ideas in society in the context of entertainment. So. Yes. Pair that with a renewed satanic panic and most of the violence in the new blood feels like it was already cut for television. In addition to giving us our most prolonged look at Jason without a mask and confirming that he's basically just turned into a monster at this point, the new blood defied the MPAA by giving us one of Jason's best kills. And it's one of his best, not because of the complication, but because of its simplicity and brutality. Camping in the woods, one unlucky teen is simply picked up in her sleeping bag and bashed against a tree. Even in its cut-down form, this is a classic example of Jason's often brutal simplicity. Jason racks up 15 confirmed kills in the movie, which is the fifth most in the franchise, but goes easy on the infrastructure. Just two windows are broken, and you could argue that Jason even makes a door by busting through a wall. Good Jason. Jason. Where's Jason? We took care of him. 
I should note at this point in the countdown that there is a pretty wide gulf between the five movies that we've talked about so far and the remaining seven films on this list. I would say that I actually, to some extent, enjoy these top seven films, whereas I don't really like the bottom five. This is also in many ways where I think a lot of people will say my hot takes start coming in, but I'm not really trying to have a hot take with any of these picks. This is actually a pretty close contest, except for maybe the top one or two. These movies are very close, and it all just comes down to personal preference because, hey, isn't that what this list is all about? And so with that in mind, at my number seven spot, I have the second film in the franchise, Friday the 13th Part 2, which hit theaters less than a year after the first movie's success, but is set five years after the first film. Friday the 13th Part 2 is basically the first Friday the 13th, but this time with Jason. Jason we saw at the end of the original in what may or may not have been a dream sequence. Here he is very much alive and stalking teenagers in the woods around Camp Crystal Lake. Now the first thing that Jason does in this film is to kill off Alice, who is the final girl from the original Friday the 13th, reportedly because the actress didn't really enjoy the darker side of fame that the first film had brought her. This also starts something that we see in a lot of slasher films to this day, which is to open up a sequel by getting rid of one or all of the remaining characters from the previous film. Friday the 13th Part 2 also introduces one of the franchise's signature cheap scares. <laughs> Following Alice's death, though, we basically hit the reset button. A bunch of new teenagers are going to set things up at a summer camp. They're warned that they're all going to die. I told the others they didn't believe me. You're all doomed. And then they're picked off one by one, usually after getting high and or having sex. It should be noted, though, that in a franchise that usually punishes alcohol and drug use, there's one character who actually survives, and that's Ted, who goes out with the other counselors to a bar, gets super drunk, and decides not to go back to camp. Excuse me, are there any after-hours places around here? Sure are. If he'd gone back, he would have been machete bait just like everybody else. Let this be a lesson to you, kids. Binge drinking can save your life. Although I think I have to add, so I don't get demonetized, that that is obviously a joke and that binge drinking is a very serious subject. It just happened to save this character's life. Are you sure you don't want me to clear those? No, I'm collecting these. I just don't want the bar to fall down on you. Because so many of these movies were close, I had to come up with some criteria as to why this one ended up at number seven. And for me, it's really because the movie slows down as we approach the climax instead of escalating the tension and suspense. I think it's very top heavy. And so it kind of ends with a whimper for me. Because this is an early Friday film, Jason ties a franchise low with nine confirmed on-screen kills. The super elaborate ones are still a ways off. So I'm going to pick as best kill Jason's murder of Mark, who takes a machete to the face, then rolls down the stairs in his wheelchair like some twisted scene out of Mac and Me. Jason also goes relatively easy on the buildings around camp in his first outing. He destroys one door and two windows, although the window that's destroyed at the end of the film may be a dream window. It's not really clear. I'm going to say it counts, and that makes a total of three doors and windows wrecked. What if there is a Jason? Oh, boss. Jenny? What would it be like today? Some kind of out of control psychopath? At number six, and get your keyboards ready on this one because many people consider this to be the best film in the franchise, I'm picking the original Friday the 13th from 1980. 
And let me just say, is this movie incredibly influential? Yes, largely because of the franchise that sprang from it. Is it amazing what they were able to pull off with the gore and blood effects in this movie? 100% yes. If I was rating the film based just on that, it would be at or near the top. But honestly, when I was looking at all of these movies, I just found that I didn't enjoy this movie as much as the ones ahead of it on the list. And it has been firmly established that Friday the 13th existed, or was at least conceived, to capitalize on the success of Halloween. And when I think about this movie, I think about the other franchises, like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, in a world where no sequels sprang up from any of these films, I believe that Halloween and A Nightmare on Elm Street would still be considered on their own classics in the horror genre. I'm not so sure about Friday the 13th. I think it would be well regarded, but as a standalone movie, I don't think that it approaches the level of a lot of other movies that originated whole franchises. The original Friday the 13th does execute, no pun intended, a formula that the franchise would go on to replicate for many, many years. Decades after a young boy named Jason drowned at Camp Crystal Lake, a new group of counselors assembles to help reopen the camp while they drink, screw, and get high. Colombian gold man, grass, hash, the weed, dig it? Hey, what's he talking about? An unseen killer stalks and murders them one by one. Friday the 13th also includes the requisite harbinger of doom in local crazy Ralph, who would also appear in the sequel. You're going to camp blood, ain't you? It's got a death curse. We're first introduced to Jason's mother, Pamela Voorhees, shortly before she's revealed to be the killer behind everything, in what's actually a pretty great twisted performance from Betsy Palmer. Kill her, Mommy. Kill her. Don't let her get away, Mommy. Don't let her live. I honestly think that Betsy Palmer is a big reason why this movie lingered so long in the public consciousness. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. But the real star here is the makeup and gore effects work done by legendary makeup artist Tom Savini, who was coming off of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Savini and his team took the kills to levels rarely seen in mainstream American horror at that point, and it remains fantastic work. Friday the 13th I don't think is a bad movie, but I would watch the five ahead of it in this list before I would watch this one, which is pretty much why it is settled there at number six. Friday the 13th ties with part two for the lowest victim count, not of Jason, but of Mrs. Voorhees at nine total. A lot of the kills occur off screen, but two land in favorite kill contention. Marcy's ax to the face would usually take it. I love the makeup on that, but it is really hard to argue with young Kevin Bacon's infamous demise as the point of an arrow is pushed through his neck. This kill is the perfect blend of horror, body horror, and great makeup effects and would set the template for the elaborate kills that the franchise would pull off in the years following this movie. The original film not only ties for the lowest body count, but also the lowest number of doors and windows terrorized. Mrs. Voorhees chops down one door and then obviously did not skip any days in the gym because she also throws a body through another window for a total of two doors and windows destroyed. Ma'am. We didn't find any boy. Then he's still there. In fifth place on my list is a movie that I referenced in a previous video as one that I enjoy more than a lot of other people, and you're about to find out just how much, and that is Freddy vs. Jason, the long-awaited matchup between Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. I said in my earlier video that I think this is a better Jason movie than a Freddy movie, and it's largely because I think that Jason has some of his best moments across the entire franchise in this movie. 
Jason is manipulated by Freddy Krueger to go to Springwood and start killing teenagers in order to inspire fear. This spurs Jason to begin a rampage of really well-executed kills that rank among his most effective, creative, and most darkly humorous. Including what may be my favorite Jason sequence in any movie, which is the Cornfield Massacre. About halfway through the movie, a bunch of teens are in a cornfield having a party when they realize that Jason is stalking them. After taking out a couple of stoners, he's then set on fire and begins literally blazing a trail through the corn and then into the party where he hacks and slashes at will. This is my favorite depiction on film of the unstoppable wall of chaos that Jason Voorhees is, and it's my favorite part of the movie overall. Is this movie cheesy? Yes, it is. Is the original film arguably a better movie than this? I think there's an argument to be had there, but I really just love to watch this movie. And if I were going to list some of my favorite kills all time for Jason Voorhees, a few of them would probably come from this movie. But I have to go with Jason's very first actual kill, which is where he stabs a post-coiled teen in bed, then just to make sure he's dead, folds him in half backwards. It's funny, it's brutal, it's everything you want from a great Jason kill. Jason also has a respectable kill count in this movie, 13 confirmed real-world kills, and I'm giving him half credit for killing Freddy. Yes, Monica Kina decapitates him, but I'm confident that Jason shoving Freddy's glove through his chest would have gotten the job done as well. So that's 13 and a half total kills. As for property damage, Jason destroys three doors throughout the film, and then early on in the Freddy fight, he runs Kruger's body down one side of a cabin that's made entirely of windows. And if you think that I didn't spend a ridiculous amount of time analyzing this footage frame by frame to determine exactly how many windows Jason broke using Freddy's body, then you don't know me very well. After thorough analysis, I determined that I can say with certainty that six individual windows were destroyed because, as you can see, they are separated by wooden barriers, which brings Jason's damage to nine total doors and windows with one wall destroyed to boot. Hopefully the morning after this bloody battle, a general contractor was the first to the scene along with the police. Well, if you were angry about my last pick, then you're probably going to be furious about this one because this is a movie that a lot of people have way down in their Friday the 13th rankings, but is actually one of my favorite films. And that is the 2009 remake slash reboot of Friday the 13th, which was done by Platinum Dunes, who the year after they made this movie would go on to make my least favorite movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I do have to say that back in 2005, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was starting to meet people around the Channel 101 comedy community. And one of the very first people to come up and introduce himself and actually want to be my friend was Derek Mears, who plays Jason Voorhees in this film. Derek Mears is, for real, one of the nicest people on the planet. And if I didn't like this movie, then I would very gently explain why I think that it's a piece of garbage, but I actually don't. I even watched this movie a long time before I got deeper into the horror genre, and I still enjoyed it. I was genuinely curious about why people seem to dislike this movie so much, and it seems like a big reason, especially from a lot of fans of the franchise overall, is that they made Jason fast and athletic. 
I don't think that's a betrayal of the character at all. I think it actually makes Jason something that he wasn't for a very long time prior to this movie coming out, which is actually scary and menacing. And really, when you look at the early Friday the 13th films, this kind of brings Jason back to his roots. The first 25 minutes of this movie, which is all pre-title card, is actually some of the best Friday the 13th stuff that's ever been put to film, and I've seen even the detractors for this movie say that. We have a group of teens who are out in the forest. They are systematically hunted down and killed by Jason. We have a great smash to credits, and then we get into more familiar territory, where a bunch of teenagers are going up to a cabin in the woods to spend a weekend getting drunk and having sex, and then we also have Jared Padalecki joining the group, who's out looking for his missing sister. Jane missing. She's dead. I've also seen a lot of criticism for this movie that these characters are dumb and not very well written, to which I say, yeah, that's the franchise. That's every movie in this franchise. I mean, listen, let's be real here. None of these movies are real classics of American cinema. They are not ever going to make any of the best movies of all time lists. They are dumb and schlocky and fun, and that's why we watch them. It seems very odd to me that people who love Friday the 13th films seem to hold this film to a standard that the other films in the franchise aren't held to. I really don't see how this one is much different from the other films, other than being a little bit grittier, but I like that harder edge. I like a Jason that is more terrifying, a Jason that is more brutal and less of an audience favorite. I don't know. This is just one of those Friday the 13th movies that I watched and said, I, I don't understand what everyone hates about it so much. The things that are bad in this movie are the things that are seemingly to me bad in every other Friday the 13th movie. Fittingly, Jason has 13 kills in this movie. My favorite one is close. I love the cold-bloodedness of leaving poor Amanda tied over a fire to roast alive in her sleeping bag during what's essentially the movie's prologue. But I'm going to go with the death of Lawrence, who tries to run from Jason only to find out the hard way that Jason can throw a mean axe. Fatality. As for doors and windows, Jason actually puts a poker through the window in a door, which is pretty impressive, but that only counts as one. Overall, the movie lands in the middle of the pack with a total of four windows and one door damaged or destroyed. Jason! My top three movies actually comprise a trilogy of sorts, although it's not in the order that I ranked them. And my number three movie is the fourth film in the franchise, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, the first movie that marketed itself on killing Jason Voorhees. This movie picks up basically right after part three with Jason's presumed dead body being hauled away. And then of course, there's a group of new teenagers who are partying at a rented cabin in the woods. But we also follow the Jarvis family, including young Tommy, who's played by Corey Feldman. Apart from anybody with the name Voorhees, Tommy Jarvis would be the most frequently recurring character in the franchise. He's in this movie and then is the lead character in the next two movies. Jason is taken to the morgue, but of course he's not dead. And even before his revival, he's spooking the coroner. Jesus Christmas! Holy Jesus God damn! Holy Jesus jumping Christmas shit! But soon enough, Jason has escaped and he's back to the woods to begin killing a bunch of teenagers. One of those teens is a young Crispin Glover who brings his very Crispin Glover energy to all of his scenes, including this inexplicable dance sequence with music replaced by me so I don't get demonetized.
This movie has the usual debauchery, drinking, sex, nudity, etc. But this doesn't excuse the fact that the movie misses out on an opportunity to talk about the dangers of inviting a hunter that you just met in the woods up to your room to see your Halloween masks. Come on, I got something real neat to show you up my bedroom. Tommy? Who's your friend? This movie is mostly about the murders, and it's hard to quantify exactly what it is about this movie that has me rank it above so many of the other movies, other than the fact that this just feels like a Friday the 13th movie. The Jarvis family is relatable, you're actually rooting for them to survive, the teenagers are just goofy enough to be interesting, the kills aren't the most creative in the franchise, but the kill sequences are suspenseful. Really, if you're making a Friday the 13th checklist, this one ticks off most of the boxes. Jason is played by Ted White in this movie for the first and only time. Sadly, Ted White passed away just a couple of weeks ago. He was nearly 60 when he played Jason. He died at age 96 after a career that also saw him stunt double for John Wayne. What a life. As he does in the reboot, Jason racks up an appropriate 13 confirmed kills in this movie. Most of these kills are pretty routine for Jason anyway, so I'm going to go for the one that adds insult to injury, where Crispin Glover's character gets stabbed with the corkscrew that he's looking for in the kitchen, then meat cleavered in the face. Ouch. When it comes to property damage, this movie takes the crown with Jason destroying four doors, including my favorite Jason exploding door shot, and three building windows. Then the movie runs the score up by taking out six windows at once when Jason throws a body on top of a car. That's a grand total of 13 kills and 13 doors and windows. Not too bad. And it's not just Jason, our heroes continue the window-breaking spree. The Jarvis family dog inexplicably jumps through a closed window, and Tommy's sister Trish smartly takes the shortest route out of a house where she's being stalked by Jason, throwing herself out of a window, then through a railing, off a roof, and onto the ground in a gutsy move that's also a really good one-shot stunt. God, I'm horny. Coming in at number two on my list is the movie that directly precedes this film, Friday the 13th Part 3, which hilariously was also the franchise offering that was in 3D, full of epically bad shots made even worse when not viewing the movie in 3D. This is all the exercise I need. Friday the 13th Part 3 takes place the day after Friday the 13th Part 2, but if you missed the previous movie, don't worry. The first six minutes of this movie are really just the last six minutes of the previous film. I'm really glad that the movie stopped with this convention over time. Harry Manfredini also did the music for this movie, and I've got to say, I dig it. I mean, it is completely inappropriate for this film, but it is now a fixture on my Halloween playlist. Friday the 13th Part 3 starts out like pretty much every other movie. There's a new group of teenagers and they're all going up to a cabin around the lake to hang out for the weekend. We get the harbinger of doom in the form of an old man. He wanted me to warn you. Look upon this omen and go back from whence ye came. And our hero is a girl named Chris who somehow survived an attack from Jason in the woods years earlier. She returns to the lake for the world's most unproductive confront your fears experience ever. Most of the characters in this movie are as forgettable as the characters in every other Friday the 13th film, but one that we should probably acknowledge is Shelly, a poor, awkward, unlucky-in-love makeup enthusiast who can't win a girl over to save his life. I was thinking that maybe, you know, we could... I don't think so. Shelly dies tragically, but he is also the source of Jason's trademark hockey mask, which he wears for the first time in this movie. 
The movie actually gets way better after Jason puts the hockey mask on, and it goes from a conventional Friday the 13th film to a third act that I think is genuinely suspenseful and is able to actually tap into the terror of a crazy human being stalking you, breaking into your house, and wanting to chop you into pieces. Prior to maybe the 2009 reboot, this is the last film where Jason can be feared as any kind of a human villain and not just a monster. And a lot of credit to that has to go to Richard Brooker, who plays Jason for the first and only time in this movie. He passed away sadly in 2013. This movie's at number two because I think that it taps into the franchise's potential in the traditional horror genre better than any of the other movies. Jason is a believable threat and the sequences in this movie, particularly at the end, are designed to terrify you. I think maybe it's the most effective filmmaking done across all of the movies. Jason's kills are a little more low-key. I'm tempted to pick Rick's death as the best in the movie because of the choice to have his eyeball pop out at the audience in three dimensions, but I'm gonna go with one that's brutal in what it doesn't show, as a poor character named Andy learns the hard way to never do the splits when there's a serial killer around. This is a case in a franchise that usually shows you the nitty gritty of Jason's kills where you don't need to see anything because what you can imagine happened is infinitely worse. Jason racks up 12 confirmed kills in this movie as the body count begins to creep up with the number of movies being made. He also demolishes or damages two doors and two windows, although our final girl, Chris, also breaks a window in her attempts to avoid Jason. I'll never forget that horrible face, never. That leaves just one film at number one, and it's one that I was frankly shocked was this high. It's one that I had not seen prior to watching the movies for this countdown, and I found it combined every aspect of the Friday the 13th series and blended them all perfectly into one movie. Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, is able to combine horror, dark comedy, creative kills, and everything that Friday the 13th is known for, except, bizarrely, nudity. There's none in this movie. C.J. Graham stars as Jason Voorhees for the first and only time. This is another one and done. And the movie starts out utterly ridiculous. Tommy Jarvis goes to Jason's grave to destroy his corpse and exercise his own fear that Jason's going to come back. But Jason is reanimated by lightning and awakens to go on another killing spree. <laughs> The opening credits start with a James Bond parody where Jason slashes the camera and we're off to the races here. Jason Lives obviously got an upgrade budget-wise because it feels like, as Harry Styles might say, a movie. You know, a go-to-the-theater film kind of movie that doesn't look like it was made for 20 bucks and a ham sandwich like the other films in this franchise. Jason Lives also includes some self-aware humor and acknowledgement that even the writers understand how ridiculous it is that this franchise is still going. We better turn around. Because I've seen enough horror movies to know any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. In this installment, Crystal Lake has been renamed and a new camp is opening with new counselors, breaking up the theme of teenagers partying in a cabin and going back to the other premise that Friday the 13th uses multiple times. If I were going to recommend just one Friday the 13th movie to somebody to show why people like these movies, why the franchise has endured for so many generations, one that contains everything that is great about Friday the 13th films, it would be this movie. So, what were you gonna be when you grew up? 
And honestly, I think when people talk about a Friday the 13th movie, this is the one that they're picturing in their heads. Jason Lives also has some of the best imagery and most creative kills in the franchise. But for me, the best kill comes down to two finalists. The close runner up is the town sheriff who gets folded in half fighting Jason. But for sheer creativity, I have to go with the death of a character named Nikki, whose head is pushed so hard into the wall of an RV that it literally makes an impression, a classic Jason kill. Jason Lives ties for the second most deaths in the franchise at 18. Jason also takes out three windows and a door for a property damage total of four. Happy Friday the 13th. Just a few final statistics for you. Total confirmed kills by my count from Jason Voorhees, his pretenders, and his relatives was 173.5 deaths. That equals to approximately five Ted Bundys, 11 Jeffrey Dahmers, and 35 Jack the Rippers. When we look at property damage, I counted 60.5 doors and windows destroyed just by Jason and his affiliates, which at a current average of $800 per door or window to replace would equal $48,400 total. So it's not just your life you have to look out for when Jason Voorhees comes to town, it's also your insurance rates. And that does it for my look at the Friday the 13th franchise. What are your favorite Friday the 13th films? Do you think I'm crazy for putting some so high and others so low? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching me here on the channel. Please come back as I'm always here doing movie news, reviews, fun stuff like this, box office, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe, especially if Jason's around, and I'll see you then. Bye.